Today's episode of the Black Flag Podcast is brought to you by Evan Orvath of Solero Commerce. We're coming to you live from the Solero Commerce compound as always. They've been with us since the very beginning. If you own a small business that accepts debit or credit cards, you gotta check them out. Contact Evan Orvath or get in touch with one of us and we'll get you a free second opinion on your current merchant service provider. Today's episode is also brought to you by PlanBSales.com and CircleBDieCast.com. If you're looking for any diecasts or any other NASCAR memorabilia, be sure to check them out. Use promo code BFP123 for free shipping on orders over $20. Brad Keselowski is going to be shown the black flag. It's the Black Flag Podcast. Every fucking week. Fuck, I hate my fucking job. Race analysis. Yeah, we're only girls pull hair, so. Maggie forgets that if they changed the rules and took the champion's provisional away, he wouldn't have been able to race the last two years, so. uh... Occasional alcohol consumption. Uh, Jimmy Johnson is on pit road because I think he's the leader. And calling people on their shit. It refrains me from not beating the shit out of you right now because you ask me stupid questions. This week's Black Flag Podcast is now in session. Hey, we edged him out, we beat him, so it's all good. Holy shit. Okay, that's, that's new. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. I can well, hear it on my end. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, boys and girls, we uh, we have another special guest here, finally, where it's not just the two of us at the desk anymore. Uh, but we have a, a, another, actually, Snowball Derby champion in the house yeah. on the uh, on the screen here. Uh, someone who's very, very well uh, established, well decorated throughout the Super Late Bottle Race and all sorts of cool stuff. Uh, as always, I'm Charlie, you're Brad, but you are Travis Braden. What's up, man? Yeah. Hey, guys, how are you doing? I am indeed Travis Braden. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm quite worthy of the status that you are giving me, but I appreciate that, and it's good to be on. You've done way cooler shit than either of us have, so that's <laughs> on that at least. Uh, but no, uh, you've done all sorts of stuff. We know you've, you've done You've come up through the ranks. You did the super late model stuff. You've dabbled in the, the bigger car stuff and all that. So take us on that journey. Like for those that are listening, like who, who the fuck is Travis Braden? <laughs> well, um, even though I know we're not really worried about how long I talk, um, <laughs> that's a long story. So I'll make it like I, I make this a little better every time I feel like because I do get what's asked. The abbreviated poor yeah. version of Zoom. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> So, you know, the easiest way to start is just like, you know, where I'm, where I come from. Um, I'm from Northern West Virginia, right where the state is like 13 miles wide. So I'm like five minute drive to Pennsylvania or Ohio, um, an hour away from Pittsburgh, two hours from Columbus, Ohio. Like that's where I'm from. Um, Kind of not really in the middle of nowhere, but not, no one notable really comes from there right there's a lot of successful people but i don't feel like we have any athletes or anyone like that um and i was just another kid that you know my family was was um not by any means bad you know in a bad financial situation but we didn't have abundance of money or anything like that and so um i wasn't the type of kid that had some dream that was going to cost a lot of money uh just kind of ended up being in this situation where of course we all know racing costs a lot of money um but it wasn't really what I was like planning on doing my whole life. And, and really where it all started with the racing thing was as simple as, you know, I, I grew up on a farm essentially, and there's mountains, there's hills, all that stuff. And we had a little bit of property. So I had a four wheeler from the time I could walk and um, I kind of, you know, I fell in love with that, of course. But then as I got older, I started really liking Supercross, which was kind of my first love and wanted to kind of do that maybe. And, and um, 
that led to eventually, you know, you started learning more about racing and stuff. And I saw NASCAR on TV because my dad went to the Daytona 500. Um, I learned about, you know, all different types of cars and you know, dirt, asphalt, everything like that. And actually my first, I really wanted to be a dirt sprint car driver before anything, because I think because of like the, the, the four wheeler and the dirt bike stuff. Well, I was also going to say like where, dirt, where you know? that's more prevalent than anything else, really. The dirt. Yes. Stuff. And that too, that was big, probably by coincidence, you know, there's definitely a lot more dirt racing around where I come from, but, but we weren't a racing family. So like, I didn't know that my dad didn't even know that, you know? So um, really all he knew was, was the Daytona 500 Coke 600, you know, that kind of thing. It was just what was the big title things that are on the front page of the news every now and then. So um, that's kind of the gist of like how I got started, right? Like it wasn't not a racing family. No one in my family knows anyone in the sport or in the business oh, of NASCAR so that, or with a go-kart or how, how's that start? Yeah. So actually, yeah, sorry. That's a good question. So I did actually start racing a four wheeler, um, just our local fair. I would put around. I mean, it was, it was a joke, but it was fun, you know? Uh, I was probably five years old the first time I did it. And um, really the first time I got a, a bigger bike, you know, I got like a, a 90 CC or like a hundred and some CC um, four wheeler. I wanted to start racing more, maybe travel to a couple of races. And really what it came down to was I think my parents thought it was going to be too dangerous for their liking. Uh, but they, they loved it. They loved the idea of it all. So they bought me this go-kart that someone had kind of, homemade out of like a flat cart that you, I guess we call them flat carts around us. Yeah. Um, they just have smooth tires, but they race on dirt tracks. And they basically took that and put a cage over it. You sat in a seat with actual seat belts, um, but it still had no suspension and all that. It had a little bit of a body that was sheet metal, but that was about it. It was called a mini wedge. And so they, they kind of got me that and didn't really say it, but looking back, it was kind of to get me away from, the, the dirt bikes and stuff. Um, not that if I really wanted to, they probably would have still let me, but it was, it was their effort to try to hopefully prevent um, injuries and things later in my life. So that's how the racing thing got started. And it was just, again, it was something somebody kind of made locally. We raced like two or three places. Um, wasn't a big circuit. There wasn't a lot of those things out there and that's how I got started. But um so were it like in school, yes. did you do like regular sports? Did you do stick and ball? Did you do any, any, anything like I, that? I did a little bit. I was really, I did a little bit of soccer, but I don't remember liking it. Uh, I didn't play very long. And then um, I was athletic though. Like I, I was really good at football. And the biggest problem with football was I was pretty good size. Like I was tall. I was, I was skinny, but I was tall. And so they would put me in every position and I couldn't, you know, stamina wise, I couldn't play the whole game because I played from start to finish and never got off the field. So um, I was pretty good if I played two maybe, but I was horrible essentially when I put them on. And uh, eventually racing kind of took over like I did it in middle school. And when it was time for like high school, I was like, you know what? That was the age where I was getting really serious with racing. So I was like, I don't want to even try to do both. And then I just never, you know, I just let high school football be its own thing and I didn't mess with it. But so, so what was like the moment or the, the instance or whatever, where you're like, this is, this is what I want to do. Like, this is, this is what I'm shooting for. Was there like a specific yeah. moment? Was there a specific instance where you're like, this, this is fucking pretty cool. I would say there's, there's two answers to that because there's kind of two steps to it for me. The first 
was like when I started, I was eight years old and I was there, you know, playing with toy cars in the dirt with my buddies. And like, I wasn't really paying attention. I thought it was cool as hell to be racing this car. Right? It was go-kart. I thought I was the cool kid because no one else in school was, was doing that. Right. Um, but eventually I, my parents were like, Hey, like, if you don't want to do this, I forget how that conversation got started. I was like, no, no, I love this. And they're like, well, we know you love hanging out, but like, you know, we don't want you to be like down the fact that you like, you get lapped every race and all that. So like, if you want to do this, like if there's anything we can do, if you want to go practice, we can maybe get someone to help coach you a little bit, whatever. And like, it just took me by surprise. I was never even thinking about like going faster on the track. That wasn't where my, my headspace was. Um, but I was like, Oh yeah, like I can go faster. Absolutely. So, um, went and practiced one week and learned a lot of stuff. Just kind of a couple people told me, Hey, do this and like, try this. And, and, um, so where it really clicked was then that next race, which was like halfway through my first year. Um, instead of getting lapped, like when the checkered flag flew, I could still see the leader and I saw, you know, like he go, he went, I remember it. I can still picture it. Like it was a night race and he goes under the flag stand and there's a car right behind him and there's a checkered flag waving, you know, and he's like, he's got his fist up in there. He's all excited. And I was like, wow, like that looks cool. Like I want to, <laughs> I want to do that, you know? So then it was, then it was on from that day forward, as far as like my competitive side, like I, what do I got to do? You know, it was literally from that moment, I have never not been like, it doesn't matter if I sleep zero, like whatever it takes, I'm doing it. So that, and was that was the switch. Yeah, that was the switch. And then like, I still wasn't like, okay, now I'm, I'm going to be a NASCAR driver one day. That was kind of the next, you know, the second step of it was, was after I did those go-karts, uh, I got into quarter midgets, which was like, once we started to want from that, when that switch flipped, it was like, okay, like if I want to take this seriously, like we got to learn more about racing because like my dad didn't know anything. Like, what do you do next? You know? And at the time, quarter midgets were really, really, really big. And so he kind of heard about them and, and, and did a little research and we got into those and, um, you know, I was pretty good right away, but like my second year, I started to really win some of the bigger races and, and, um, stuff like that, which was like, I was winning races that like three years before, you know, that's who like the people that were making their way into NASCAR, that's what they were doing. You know, I was like following their footsteps and that was when the second one kind of flipped, you know, it was like, okay, like now I really feel like after three or four years of racing, like I'm doing well enough that I really want to do this, you know, and I really do like it. And obviously I had for whatever reason, you know, some sort of potential, it seemed like. So, um, naturally, you know, selfishly, everyone wants to, wants to be successful and, and ride the wave. So that's where the second one came in and definitely a long story still from that point to today, but we'll take that's it probably the most important part time. is like, you start doing quarter minute stuff. You're, you're being successful at it. And then you, you kind of have that realization like, Oh, Oh fuck. Like maybe I don't suck at this. Like maybe this is something that yeah. I can do. Uh, so what's, what's the next step? Take us to, you know, take us through it. You know, what, what was after yep. that? Um, so I did two years of the first little go-kart. So the mini wedges and then, um, like almost four years in the quarter midgets, I ended up winning a grand. Um, I almost won like three or four, but I finally did win one. And, um, 
you know, championships and stuff. Like we, we just had a lot of success and a lot of fun at that level. And then um, the next step was, again, it was like, okay, now we got to do more research again, because like, I don't know, you're 13 going on 14, like what, what's, what makes the most sense? What's best for you? Um, what do you want to do kind of thing? And then what can we help you? Because we don't have a lot of money to spend um, as far as from my parents' perspective. And we outlined that a legend car was a great opportunity. So I did that next. Um, and that was also a lot of fun. So that was, and that was also really a big thing because I got to come and race in Charlotte some and kind of see how different it was, but really grasp a little bit more like what the sport's all about. Um, so that's interesting because I want to talk on that for a second. So yeah, we, we've talked about like, you know, we're, we're from the Northeast. We're, we're literally sitting in Scarborough, Maine right now. And the people around here, they're just, they're very passionate when it comes to racing. Like that's just what they do. Um, and then you go down South and it almost becomes more of just a living. That's just, yes. that, so what, what are some of the, the discrepancies or the differences that you notice from a kid racing quarter midgets in West Virginia trying to make it? And then once you're there, like, were you ever like, maybe this isn't for me or like, Oh yeah, this is what I want to do. Like, what that what- was uh, definitely when we would come here and race and, and we, you know, obviously we needed some help from time to time and we needed people to teach us and help us and purchase things from people. And, and uh, you know, definitely never dealt with it until that point. But that was when quickly learned. And fortunately, I don't think we ever really got too far in any holes or got taken advantage of too bad. But you learn that people are not really always pulling in the same direction, you know, whereas before everything seemed like a family thing. Right. You had close friends. They were doing it, you know, even if they wanted to do it, it as more of a hobby. It was all still like that's what we did on the weekends. And it was our passion. And by no means did anyone pay any attention in big league racing to what we were doing. But now you get into this step of it and, and there is a lot more at stake. Um, starts to be at least at the legend car level, I think. And there are some, um, you know, there's some dirty people in any industry. So there's definitely a lot of that. And what it boils down to is exactly what you said. You know, people want to make a living, but sometimes people get carried away and, and um, you know, people have a life too. So there's sometimes things people get sucked into and, and, um, you know, they need to kind of, you know, fund their other uh, life adventures, if you will. And, and they'll do it at any cost sometimes. So we did, we did learn about that. So that was definitely, but I will say one thing that, and then I can, I can, especially after living here now and being around the sport for so long now, um, I will say that it, it seems at first, like everyone's out to get you down here and no one's in this passionately. But what you do eventually learn is that is that they're really most people are like me and you, right? You guys are from the Northeast. I'm from West Virginia. Most people have a similar story. They came from somewhere else to here. And the only reason they came that far was they had to be passionate. Some people lose that when they come here, I think. That's um, easy for anyone, right? You have ups and downs. But um I don't think it's as bad as it sometimes seems, but there, there are definitely enough um, kind of snakes in the weeds that sometimes that overshadows all the great people in this industry that do live here and work here. And there are a lot of great people that um, maybe surprisingly will, will help you. Um, in there any, can. Any that come to mind that like, 
maybe that were part of the reason why you did get to go from, you know, quarter midgets and all this stuff up into like the late model ranks and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like every step of the way in my story, there was always one person that was like, okay, I'm at a, I'm at a stopping point or like there's nothing next or what could possibly be next. Like I don't have money. So like everything costs money and it's just out of the question. And I was really lucky every step of the way was always somebody that came in and was like, Hey, you do a great job and I see your passion. Here's how I can help you. What do you think? And, and I always tried to make the most of everything that I was put in. And, and so um, a lot of different people, but in particular if, at the step that we were just kind of talking about the legend car stuff, which was definitely the most pivotal point because it could have just went one way and that was it. You're done, you know? Um, but a guy named Dennis Lambert and Dennis is he's actually a great racer himself but um at the time when i met him he was he was i guess you'd call him like a handler if you will like he would he would house cars for people he would house their cars or he would have like a car that that they could just lease or rent from him and drive it and he was really notable um for a lot of different drivers he helping william byron zane smith greg alding um myself you know there's at least four or five more that are currently racing in the NASCAR ranks in one of the top three series um, that he worked with. And he was, so why it was important though, what, what Dennis did for me was not just that he helped me be successful because we were actually already having some success, but I met him right around the time that uh, we got, you know, we started to learn about some of the, the shadier side of the industry and he was, he, it was literally, he, he walked up to us one day and he was like, you know, that guy over there is not your friend. The one that you're getting help from, he's not your friend. And I've seen you guys race for a year or so now. Like you seem like good people. You try really hard. You're doing well. I know you don't have a lot of money, but like, I just, it's not about money. I want you to bring your car to my shop. I, I want you to get away from that. If you want to, I'm not here to get in the middle of someone's business either, but like, I think you already see it on the writing on the wall and like, I want to help you. So bring your car over. Um, and at the time, like we, I did a lot of the work myself and my, my dad would help me with little things here and there, but he kind of put it all on me, you know, like you got to understand your car and work on it. Cause we don't have money to pay people. And so that was what we did. So all Dennis needed to do was really just give me the tools. Right. And he gave me a little bit of advice here and there, and he would work on stuff if we needed to for, you know, a hundred bucks here and there um for for what you know was worth it and he didn't take advantage of us and he helped us so much um so that was probably you know probably most pivotal person for sure that i can name um yeah I, that answers the question i don't want to go on forever oh you're good man uh so you're, you're doing the legend car thing and then you know you're you're obviously tearing it up there so what gets you into the light model? What, what gets you to that next step? And, and I, I mean, the only reason I, I can ask this is because I just very recently did it myself. My very first super late model race, it's, it catches your attention really yeah. quick. So like, what was your experience like going from something that's like a go-kart to a legend car, which there are a handful, yeah. like uh, Bobby Timmons, uh, you, don't, you don't know who he is, but our friend Bobby, and I, we've said it the most where you've never worked so hard to go so slow in your life. That's a legend. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you do that. Then you get into a lay model. Like 
what was that like? Like then you're, then you're even that much further now you're closer, you're getting closer, you're getting closer. And then like, what are, are the thoughts ever like, this is what I could do for like a living or is it still something that you're just like, okay, doing on the side? Yeah, definitely. At the legend car level, it was like, you know, that's the, the full goal. Right. And I don't obviously at the time know like how, how is it all going to come together? I still don't even know how it's all going to come together, <laughs> but um that was at you know, definitely that point. And then, um, so we would race a lot in Ohio and even the legend car stuff. Like we would race on Fridays and Saturdays, like in this series that would race like in Ohio, Michigan, a little bit, but mostly Ohio, Indiana, and Kentucky. Um, and then on the weekdays we'd be in Charlotte. So like on a Tuesday, we'd be racing down here. Well, um, and so I was racing at a lot of local tracks that they would race like once a month on the weekly show, we would race our legend show there. And so, you know, I got to know a little bit of the, of the crowd of people that would race the local, like late models and modifieds and stuff. And so, um, a couple different times that like one-off deals, someone was like, Hey, come drive this modified for me. You know, like just, you know, not, you don't have to pay me nothing. Just like we race every week and, do it for fun. And like, I'm just an old guy. I'm not that great or anything. So why don't you drive it and see, you know, you look like you're doing a good job. And, and I was doing okay. Like a couple of times here and there did okay. And then, but not a lot was coming up all that, you know? And uh, again, it was at a crossroads and it was like December one year. And I had been racing legend cars for three and a half years. I was almost 18 years old. Um, you're the old guy at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Looking at late models, but it was like, there's, we, there's no financially feasible way we could do this. It's just not possible. And it was so random. Like a guy I knew that actually helped me quite a bit on the side with some of the racing stuff that we'd known for years was like, Hey, why don't you call that guy? He, he owns a late model that races at Columbus and, and um, the driver that's been racing it is, is moving on and doing something else. I know for sure they're not racing it this year. So like, just call and see what's going on with that. You never know. And uh, so I call a guy, his name is Gary Estes. Um, and I think he, if I remember correctly, he was actually on vacation in Hawaii. And he was like, yeah, um, I'm making this up a little bit, but like, essentially he was saying, cause he doesn't talk like this, but he was essentially like, I, I really don't know that I'm going to keep going. Like, you know, we had a lot of success. I'm not driving anymore. I was helping young drivers and, this last driver's moving on. And I think it's just a good time for me to, to hang it up and just kind of enjoy the sport from a spectator standpoint. And I was like, okay, you know, but there's like, if you change your mind or anything, or like, you know, he obviously voiced that he was happy to help if he could and uh, didn't really say much. So then like a week or two goes by and he calls and he's like, uh, if you, why don't we go racing? Like we could, we could run all the races and this, that, and the other. Um, between these two tracks, which was like 35 shows. And we had to bring like a little bit of money, but it was not like we were paying for the tires and fuel and pit passes, essentially. Like it was not a lot. It, it was still a lot. It was a lot for us, but it wasn't a lot, you know? Um, so that's how that all started. And that was just a local show. And I had no idea what I was doing. And, and really even, even Gary, like he was still learning the, you know, the higher level like setups and stuff. And, and he really loved it, but he, he was still learning too. We, we were just lucky a lot of times, I guess. And he had some good support from people that did know, but um, 
at the end of the season, it was like, why don't we go run a CRA race? And I was like, what's a CRA race? You know, what is that? <laughs> and uh, so we went to Winchester and I didn't do any research. All just Winchester. Yeah. No yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, granted, I don't know if you guys know Columbus Motor Speedway or Kilcare Speedway, but they're not big tracks and they're not super. I got to go to Columbus before they turn it into soccer fields. Okay. So you've been there. It's like a parking lot. It's very flat. It's very it's weird. It's weird. It's a weird. It was a weird little racetrack. Yeah. So um, anyway, he was like, let's go to this place called Winchester. You know, our season's over. This is towards the end of their season. Um, it's a really big race. People will be paying more attention. You have big name drivers there. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool. Here's when you need to be there, basically. Okay, I'll be there. And uh, for whatever reason, I didn't do any research on the track <laughs> or like anything about it. I don't know. I think I was a little cocky almost to where like we, we literally won a lot of, I don't know how many races, but like 31 poles and 32 start. Like we, we did so well that year that I think I was a little cocky and like, oh, I got this, you know. And so I show up and I walk through the gates and I'm reading this sign. It's like the drivers that pass through these gates are the bravest drivers in the world or, you know, whatever it says. And I'm like, what the heck, you know? And so I keep on walking and I walk in and I'm like, oh, this is not Columbus or Kilcare anymore. Could uh, not be more different. No. So we were just racing a pro late model, just a crate engine car. And um, the they, again, didn't really know what to expect. And even, even Gary, like, didn't really know what the whole situation was and how to do all that stuff. And I don't think he'd ever done any CRA racing or not much before. And he told me, he's like, I think with these cars, you know, they don't have a lot of motors. So pretty sure they just hold it wide open here because it's such a big track and there's banking. Like, you don't have to lift. Okay, cool. I'm not afraid. Right. Again, I was a little cocky. Like I just, I wasn't afraid of anything. So that's what I did. I went on the racetrack, never lifted. I don't think I lifted till I went home and we won the race. Um, I actually did a lot. I did lift because it was like 10 to go i've lapped up to fourth and the spotter's like you have over half a lap on second place like just you're riding up against the wall and i'm afraid you're going to hit it like you're about to win this race like just take it easy right so i went into turn one and i like cracked it to like half throttle and that thing just immediately like stepped out I'm like fuck you <laughs> back wide open which was scary because like that was the first time all weekend i'd gotten sideways so it was a little scary to go into the next corner and not lift again you know but um anyway i made it to the finish line we won the race and that was kind of what set me into the to the super late model stuff so the local car local shows we did were basically a super late model they were a little different rules but but it was essentially the same car same chassis and uh, so then that next year we went racing with Gary and uh, won the rookie of the year in the CRA stuff. And the next year won the championship. And um, that was how that all started. And, and that was also really pivotal, of course, because that was the step where like all the way up till then it was like, okay, this is not easy, but like, we can kind of make it work. We got a scrimp here and like, but we can make sure we got a good motor for our legends car or a quarter midget or whatever. And, but save money on this part. And now that was the part where I really needed somebody else because we just couldn't do it on our own. And 
that that was huge. So that's what got that all started. Would, would you say that's the biggest win of your career? Like, I know obviously you won the snowball derby, you won the Winchester 400, but like that opened up, I assume many more doors that, than what you had for that win going there for the first yeah. time and, you know, kind of dick stomping the field is kind of big in other people's eyes. <laughs> uh, definitely. I can, I can remember like the, the feeling of like excitement was the biggest, um, I mean, I had that feel like, you know, that feeling like you're almost like a faint or pass out because you're just that excited, like nervous, excited. And like the last 10 laps and like I crossed the start finish line, my heart rate was through the roof, like just not from just driving, but like I was that worked up over that race. So definitely like 10 to go, you start hearing every little noise, you start smelling every smell, you start hear it like it's it's the most anxiety riddled especially like in a race like that, a place you've never yeah. been, your, your balls out, your nuts are on the dashboard. You're like, I shouldn't be doing <laughs> that. True. Yeah. I'm not, I shouldn't it's be doing that. And then it's like, Oh fuck. Like it's happening. Like we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And then it's just like, Oh fuck. So um, <laughs> uh, yeah. go underneath the checkered flag and just hold it wide open for another lap. Cause you don't want to lift and get her sideways again. <laughs> Dude, it was crazy. And definitely at the time, like, 100% did not expect to win this race, even though I was like confident and cocky. Like I wasn't expecting to win at the same time. I just was expecting like, I'll do well, you know, it was my mentality. I'm not going to not do well. Um, but when it came down to it, I'm leading the race and then it starts playing. I, there was no cautions, I don't think, or if there was, there was just an early caution, but it starts coming down to it. And I just was not expecting it at all. And, and, um, you know, it wasn't like that was the biggest race in the world, but it did, for whatever reason, seem like in hindsight, I didn't realize this at the time because I didn't even know what Sierra was. I just didn't come from racing and I didn't know. And but in hindsight, like everyone in 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 late model racing kind of heard about that race and none of them had ever heard of me before. So I think for that reason alone, it was like my name stuck a little bit. And I didn't realize that again until years later. Um, but people always still to this day bring up that race. I'm like, like, how do you remember that race? Like that was memorable for me, but you know, I don't remember other people's most memorable races, you know, always. Um, so it was really cool. And, and again, that played, played on into the next couple of years and we eventually did ARCA stuff a little bit. Um, family owned thing and all that so we get to the next level of arca and all that stuff because that's obviously that's cool that's badass like that's what that's like at this local level if you're doing late models super late models whatever like literally the next step is or arca like there's no other like that's as high as you're gonna go if you're doing weekly you know touring stuff the next step is literally nascar yes so i have to ask before we get there I've been to Columbus. I've been to uh, a lot of these places that you're talking about. Did you ever go or race at Shady Bowl? One time. Place I raced there one Bradley's time. I've never, been there a couple but the times. place literally looks like a taco. It's, yeah, it's so for people that are watching, like what they basically did was it's kind of in the rolling hills part of Ohio. And so there's two rolling hills, right? And at the bottom there's, and I think there was actually – I think there is or was like a, a little creek, right? That runs through it or it's like that. It's uh, wet. Yeah. 
We'll put it that way, right? Because there's two peaks, and so the lowest point, that's where the water is going to go, and it's going to run down. Yeah, like if you have a set of boobies, the racetrack yeah. up <laughs> through the boobies on her on her stern. Yes. That's what yes. The it's wild. Like, it literally looks like a taco. There's no straightaway. There's no. There's nothing. It's wild. And, it, and it's so strange. So they really, they just, like, put a little bit of dirt down in, that, in, the, in the valley there, and they just paved. So, like, the straightaways are up here, and you go down in the middle. The middle of the corner is the lowest point, and you come back up the hill. Yeah. And it's weird because like there's there's a bank angle on the straightaways, but it's it's somehow still like off cambered. <laughs> I don't know how it why. Like it's definitely banked, but I don't I think maybe there's a crown to oh, okay. it or something because when you drive it, it, it seems like you're like falling over the top of the track, but like you're still on like 10 or 15. To, it's really weird. But my, my, my friend, so I went to the I went to the UNOH in Lima. So yeah. that was it is, that is what it is, right? Um, but my my friends and I, we would always every year for like five four years in a row, we went to the the CRA street stock race at Shady Bowl, and we called it Shady Balooza. The back of the the back stretch says Shady Bowl USA, but it's all smashed together, so we just called yeah. it Shady Balooza. And we had the greatest time there every year. And I just had to know if you ever wheeled something there because that place looks interesting. Oh yeah, I, I did. There was one CRA race there the year that I won the championship, I think, or maybe it was my first season, but they went there once. I think they knew that it wasn't really geared for our type of cars. Um, I think it was still a cool show. I mean, they put on great shows all the time, but um, with the, like, it was just too rough. For it's our pretty cars. hard to fuck up a 200 lap street stock race. Like there yeah. was always a good time. It was yeah, all those. <laughs> I, I would still love to go around a race like that there and, and like that that'd be awesome people but, listening oh so fun fact so fun fact um baby jess jess my girlfriend she spent a lot of time at shady bowl um her first racing boyfriend of her life Ooh. um raced at shady bowl quite a bit race at columbus and shady bowl and so she actually spent a lot of time there she spent like a whole at least a whole season maybe even more than that but uh, she's been there a lot, racing just the local shows, having fun. So um, we do know about Shady Bowl. I forget what we were talking about that got us on. Oh, that we were subject. talking about you getting to Arca, but I wanted to know if you ever raced at this <laughs> whole racetrack in the middle of Ohio first, because <laughs> I yeah. love that place. I you have to look up. You guys have to look up. Maybe we can plug it in at the end of this or something. There's a um, there's a song that the guy that's from around there's name's Scott McElwain. Uh, he takes pictures he's a great great guy he's in a lot of racing and he's got a song oh okay called shady bowl i think it's just called shady bowl usa i think oh, but anyway <laughs> um it's it's actually an awesome song i think he has like a little bit of an album but it, like it's a good it's a banger dude like you have to listen to this <laughs> might have to add that to the playlist for sure song of the summer <laughs> <laughs> yeah it i'm telling you you gotta find it you'll like it oh uh, man all right so so you do all the cool things. You've been to Shady Bowl, jealous. Uh, so now we're in the super late models. Now we're now we're in a new breed of race car. We're we're doing. You're at the big time. You're at the show. You know this is the highest you're gonna get, short of being on TV every weekend. So how do we go from there to running ARCA cars? Because now now you you're kind of there at that point. You like yeah. you've done it. You like it. We're here. Well, what do we do? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So it's like another crossroads, right? Like okay done this part now the next step is obvious but how in the hell am i going to do that so 
And it always um, always a bigger step every time, too. Like it's all like the go steps are from a wedge cart to a quarter midget, pretty small. Then you, you know what to a, this is a oh okay. We're we're gonna I'm and I'm trying not to veer off on a tangent, but like it's crazy when we like when you get to this point, right? You're you're looking at like what do you gotta do? And then you're then you realize like and, and I'm, this is more on Jess's shoulders, but like you look at how hard this stuff is, and then you're like, oh, like um, Ty Gibbs just ran with no sponsors. We got to get money to go racing, and Ty Gibbs can get a sponsor. He's already won an Xfinity race, and his family. Literally, is- Joe Gibbs' grandson can't get a sponsor. So how the fuck are we supposed to do it? Right. Yeah. Which I think that's probably all part of the the plan to an extent. Here's what my grandson's worth, and we are not taking a penny less. So yeah. we'll just fund it ourselves if y'all don't want to pay the, the right price. They're, they're not. He's probably smart. They're but- not. Could have had a Camping World 54 car if they wanted. Yeah, but, like, no, he's worth more than that, which, again, I, it's probably smart if you can afford to do it that way. But yeah. who can who can usually do that? But um, so how do we get to the ARCA level? Um, so we went with Gary Estes two years in CRA, and he finally was like, yeah, I really do need to, like, this was so fun, and, like, I, I would like to kind of step away on the peak. We just won a championship. Never thought we would do this, right? And let me tell you – the whole operation was a lot of fun, a lot of great people, a part of it. Everyone was always pulling the same direction, but it was a cluster. None of us knew what we were doing, including myself. Um, how we did what we did, I would think everyone else would agree with me that was part of all that, that was truly a miracle. Um, I don't think even people that gave us credit gave us enough credit for pulling it off because we were still up against quite a bit of competition and we were definitely a standout, you know, we, we won the championship, but it wasn't one of these deals like they have now where you can, you can win the last race because it's a playoff, you know, uh, we literally takes all thing, right. The whole time. That's what the shit, like you never saw. Yes. That's the, the yes. <laughs> um, but so, to, so we did those two seasons and then Gary wanted to step away. So, um, Another, you know, very important part of my, my journey was um, got connected with Gary St. Amant, who's a very, very well-known guy and a lot more experience, really, um, and, and kind of knew a lot more and been around to see a lot more than, than Gary Estes and, and our team before had the luxury of, of doing. So um, got to working with, with Gary, and we went and won another championship in the late model stuff. But all, all the while, right, that was 2014 was the year with, with St. Amant, the first year with him. But like 2012 was probably the first year when I started thinking about like ARCA like or like what's next. But, OK, it seems like ARCA. And at the time, I really thought that it looked like a lot of fun. I really wanted to race an ARCA car. Um, Why, though? Why? Well, because it was like it, it's basically a cup car. I think sometimes, well, especially now, but even back then, I think sometimes they're faster than the cup cars. And they, they literally were back then. I mean, you would just buy a two year old car from Hendrick or whoever and 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 go race it like it was so to me that was cool um and 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 back then right we had a lot more you had like rcr and and teams like that that would put cars on the track so it was it was truly to me it was the fourth tier of nascar back then more than it is now but um so that first year gary never really brought it up but then at the end of that season it was like i really i just won two championships in a row like I don't really need to go 
do another one. I love doing this. That's why we're going to continue racing late models, but it's not what I need to do if I want to make a long career in this. And so how the heck am I going to do this? And we had been talking about that for a couple of years and like, just didn't know like how we're going to do it. But end of 2014 was when ARCA came out with their spec motor program, which at the time, um, I think 2014 was the, was the last year without the spec motor and, um, I'll shoot. I can't remember his name now. It was just in my head. I can't think of it now, but the, the kid that won the championship that year in ARCA, um, Mason Mitchell, the rumor was as either 400 or 600 or 650, it was some ungodly amount of money that he spent just on motors And, and most of the teams were spending a lot. And, and so this motor thing was a big opportunity. If you could get a car and get in and afford that motor for like 40 some thousand, which is a lot, but it's way less than the other alternative, um, you could go race. And so that's kind of where we started to see a little bit of opportunity. If we could get a little bit of sponsorship here and there, buy a motor, right? So that's what we did. We, we bought a motor before we ever even looked for a car. It was just like, we'll just start buying things until we can put a, put together a show and then we'll go run a race and see what happens. That is a weird thing though, that you see even down to the late model uh, deal where like, if you don't have a car, but you have a 604 crate motor, it, it usually presents an opportunity somewhere to be like, Hey, let's put that in my car and let's go racing. Yeah. So it, exactly. it's so weird. And people don't realize that or think about it that way, but it's like, sometimes if you just have that, the main the piece, piece sometimes that gets you plugged into the seat. Yeah. It, that's a valid point. I mean, that's a big part of racing was like having, having some of it. Right. And then somebody might come along and, and need your half. So um, anyways, I mean, that was, we were working on it. Um, Gary Samot was urging me to, to do it, you know, and, and he thought it was the right move and, and, and he had had more experience again, right? Like he was with, he was back in the ASA days and he, he understood as far as someone that wanted to help me succeed and, and push me in the right directions. He was like, you need to try to do that. So we were already working on that. And then what really kind of tied it all together was actually another pretty cool story. Um, we went to the PRI show because I won the championship and they would recognize the champion at the awards banquet for the ARCA series. And then we actually got to go race. We got to go test at Daytona in February or January. Um, so we went to PRI, we get there at like, midnight one o'clock in the morning the night before on friday night and we're staying at i don't know what hotel but it has a little bar connected to it um and i was starved to death i slept my dad was driving i slept all through ohio and i wake up and we're pulling into this hotel but it's so late like i'm starving and there's no food and we're downtown so it's not like you can just drive over to wendy's or mcdonald's it's open 24 7 um and i was only you know, however old I wasn't drinking age or anything yet. So my dad was like, well, let's just go down to the bar and they might have, you know, they might have food down there, or at least some sort of snacks. And, and I was grouchy and hungry. I was like, no, I don't like, I don't want to go to the bar. I can't drink. Like I'm not doing that. And so I went to the room and I thought about it for like five minutes and I was like, no, I need to just go down there and see if they got food. Cause like, I'm so hungry and I'll be able to sleep. So I get up and I go down and my dad had already went down just to have some drinks anyway. And um, I walk in and he's standing there in a conversation with the, with the owner and director of the CRA series. They just happened to be standing there too. And 
right around the time I walked up, I also had seen when I walked in that Kenny Schrader was in the room. He hanging out, having drinks too. And anyway, once I walked in, they were like, Hey, like we, you should go talk to Kenny. Cause apparently they had started the conversation of, of trying to get into the ARCA series and let's introduce you to Kenny Schrader. So it was as simple as that. Really. They introduced me, my dad to Kenny and, and we were like, you know, Hey, this is what we're trying to do. Like Kenny's a big, um, you know, supporter of the ARCA series and he tries to help it and, and urge people to, to look at it. And so um, he was like, well, you're doing the right thing. I think you're, everything you're telling me is smart. You know, you're working on getting that engine. I can't remember if we had it already or not, but do that, you know, um, but you're going to need a good car because you're only going to get a couple shots most likely from the sounds of it. And you just need a good car. He's like, I don't know how I could help you. I, I Maybe I could do, well, let me think, let me, where's your, what's your number? I'll call you or you call me or whatever he told me. So Kenny Schrader's yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah, I, he still texts me every now and then, just like hi or something. But <laughs> um, so that was cool. I was kind of like Kenny Schrader, like yeah, Kenny, like that's what I want to do, you know. <laughs> um, uh, so the, I think he called me actually. I, it, anyway, like the following week, we got in touch right away, and he's like, and he he made it like kind of like it was cool the way he did it because he didn't really say much. Just like in the conversation, he's like, oh, no, I think I can help you. And then he didn't tell me, right, what his thought was. So then we get on the phone the following week, and he's like, all right, you, you guys need to come down here. Bring a trailer just in case and uh, meet me at this address. I'll send you the address on this day at this time. Okay. Like, no clue where I'm going. Like, I look, at, question, a, you, you yeah, look on a map. Right. You look on a map and like it's this is some building like doesn't say what it is. It's not a business building, but it's a it's a large building. OK, like we'll be there, I guess, you know. So we get there and it's Rick Hendricks, one of his personal like hangers. And he has all kinds of old cars in it. And I, I know somewhere I have pictures of of some of it still, but um, he had hundreds of cars and like some of uh, um, some some really, I'm sure, very personal and, and, and close to him memories and things of, you know, his, his grandson and, and, uh, you know, other people that driven for him that, that, uh, passed away at that point and whatever, right. There's a lot of cool stuff. And I mean, a lot of cool stuff. So anyway, uh, there was two cars that he had talked Rick into being willing to sell to us for like, I mean, it was amazing to me what, what he asked for the cars because they were they, had, they were turnkey rollers like we needed a set of shocks our motor and my seat and a transmission and like it's ready to go it already had springs in it it had all the best like suspension geometry like that they were running with chase Elliott at the time a year prior chase had just moved on to xfinity like here's two cars we'll sell you one for this or two for like five grand more total versus just buying one, like just take the, get rid of them. Essentially was what it seemed like. And to me, it was just, I was looking at two cars that had been raced and won by Jeff Gordon and Chase Elliott. And I think the one was driven by Jimmy and Chase it was Jimmy. They were both originally cup cars and then Chase, Chase drove them as Arca cars. Um, so, but he, that's basically what he made happen. I don't know, you know, to him, it probably wasn't a big deal, but to us, like, that was huge. It was a lot of fun, but it was also a big deal. Um, and of course, you know, the rest of the story, like we put them together, 
Uh, it took a couple of months before we actually got them all together because I think we got them in like January, but I didn't race until July that that year. And um, I'll be damned. We went to the first race and we won it. So it was like totally again, kind of a repeat of that Winchester deal. And honestly, you asked me earlier, is that the biggest win? This one was the biggest actually looking back now Um, because obviously I didn't expect it again, but like I did understand at that point in time, what all this meant. And, and this was on TV. This was in Indianapolis. Like this was a big deal. So um, it was really cool. That was how that started. We ran like a couple more races here and there, but um, it opened a lot of doors, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't like I was going to get a call on Monday and get a contract, you know, but it, it definitely was another step to get me, you know, further. I'm sure, I'm sure going into the ARCA race, you weren't walking in all cocky, like you're, you know, some big hot shot and you're going to go out there and win the thing. So now you have that at Winchester and now this one at, I assume, yeah. IRP. Yeah, IRP. And yeah, at that point, this was 2015. I was 21 years old. Um, I don't, I never really thought I was a cocky person, but I was really quiet and confident. So that comes off as cocky. Um, and at this point I was, I think less confident, maybe I was just as quiet, but, um, so I definitely wasn't as like confident. I didn't expect big results. I, you know, I was hoping for big results and we were working really hard, but I was nervous more about like how we're going to perform. So Anyway, that worked out. We weren't the best car. It was a little bit of a pit strategy thing, but the way that it all played out, it was just really dramatic. Yeah. What's that? Rookie looks the same. Yeah, it does. (laughs) So a little cool tidbit. So I was sponsored. I was going to school for engineering at West Virginia University at the time, and we had a small sponsorship deal that we would kind of make happen each year with them. And and, uh, so we put it on the car for that race, and then – um it, it came down to like 20 laps to go i think i passed william byron who was leading for the win and like he was at the time sponsored by liberty university and i think that season like two months later in august or a month later we played them in football which is kind of a big deal um but that was people a lot of people took note of that like two university sponsored cars racing for the win and you know looking back that was again a pretty cool thing to race against you know william and and uh it was just it was a big deal it was a lot of fun and definitely a big big uh a big asterisk on the timeline that you can't forget so so you've talked about it a little bit from the beginning even down to legend cars like you've raced against the the billy byrons of the world you've raced against you know all these other guys that are doing what we sit on our couch and watch every weekend so you, you've made it to ARCA, you've won ARCA races, like you've done what you need to do. So what is it that needs to be done to get Travis Braden to the next step? Or is that something that you even want to do? Is that, is that even on your radar? Is that, you know, what is it that, you know, what, what's the five-year plan right now for Travis Braden? Yeah. So to answer, there's a, I guess there's a couple of questions there, right? But the first answer is, is yes, a hundred percent. The, the goal is still, you know, really the same. It's always been is to, to compete at the highest level. And that's still this day, of course, is NASCAR. So, um, but, you know, being realistic about it and, and I always thought I could do it, but then I also realized eventually that you could win every single race and that alone is not going to make it happen. Most likely, even if 
you might look back and say you think that that's the case, but it's still going to be someone you meet that that person's going to do it for you. You know, like maybe that maybe you met them because you won all those races, but what really made it happen was that person doing it for you, giving you the chance. So like, what really was it that, that made it happen? It's debatable, but so we, I recognized like it, it was going to be tough. And I started to kind of lose faith in the, the likelihood of that ever happening. And, and Jess was a big part of when she came into my life, you know, three years ago, um, first, you know, just gave me more confidence again, but then started to get involved in, in she really loves the sport as well. And then I realized as a team, we realized um, that the chances are probably a lot better if we work together. And what, what I'm horrible at and will never be able to do, but that has to be done in order for me to succeed at that level, she's really good at, and I'm good at the other part. So it is a good combination. Um, you know, when, when we met, I was, I was racing full-time for actually two different teams and really, really busy with all that. And so we kind of rode that out, but along the way we started to, you know, kind of build a plan of like, how, how can we, with no money and, and no nothing, how can we make something of all this? And like, what's the next step? And don't know when that next step would need to happen, but like, let's think about, it, let's talk about, it, let's prepare for it the best we can and just see what happens. And so that's, you know, essentially getting us to today. Um, of course, you know, one more races and stuff, but the most important part to get to NASCAR we recognized is not so much on the track. It's, it's the relationships location is a big part of it. I think I should have been living here five years ago in, in North Carolina um, probably would be somewhere different than I am today, but that, that doesn't matter. All that matters is we can go forward and work on it. So as a team, we decided to move here, couldn't afford to do much more than to buy a motorhome and live here in that temporarily. Um, unfortunately for us, we moved here in January of 2020. So like a month before a pandemic that has just now started to end. Um, and so a lot of our plans that we were talking about right before we made this big move um, have had to be altered, but, you know, at the same time, a lot of great things have happened. As you know, we, we've got a great partnership now with BJ McLeod and, and um, you know, it's something that's not even necessarily uh a part of getting my career further, but it's something that we want to do. We always want to be involved in short track racing. I don't know that I could do There's so much stress or so much worse work. I don't know that we could just focus strictly on the NASCAR side of things and not go crazy. So we almost need to stay involved in short track racing just for ourselves. And of course we want to. So um, a lot of things going on, but how do you, what's the next steps and how do you get there was essentially your question. It, it, it's every day trying to figure out how do we better connect ourselves? How do we, um, you know, put ourselves in position where we're being we're successful? You know, of course you have to bring in sponsorship. You have to generate revenue, all those things. Um, but it's been an iterative process and throughout, throughout a pandemic. And right now things have been, been kind of getting back in gear this year and and just kind of seeing, seeing what we can do. And, and we've got great people on our corner. It seems like from really all sides of it down here, it's just a matter of, of, of plugging away until, you know, one, one thing goes our way and then hopefully more will follow.
So you, you talked about the new team that they <laughs> kind of just started. Now, are you going to be focusing more on the crew chiefing side of that? Are you going to be also driving for that team, your, your own team down, down the road? Or how is that working out? So to get it started, of course, um, as far as, you know, other whether it's a BJ or even even a young driver that's that's wanting to be a part of it as a development a phase of their career, um, you know, Jess and I are essentially going to be the GMs, you know, and, I, and of course, I have to be the crew chief, too. Um, but the plan is, you know, I want to race. Um, I do want to focus my driving career efforts more on the NASCAR side right now, but I want to race late models and I plan to race some this year, but, um, you know, that's something that we want to do. Um, again, it, we want to help other people that potentially might be in a situation similar to where I was. And we feel that we could, could have helped ourselves if we knew what we knew today and told ourselves 15 years ago. Right. So we, we love that idea that maybe we could help someone. And the second part of it, which I think is a little different for our team. And, and, and the great thing about it is BJ and his wife, Jessica, look at it the same way. Um, we have very similar ideas and, and desires is that that's great. If you have a development team, there's a lot of development teams out there, but we want to be an involved and engaging part of the community of short track racing and specifically Jess and I, of course, because BJ and Jessica, his wife have a lot of things going on in NASCAR world right now, but it's important to us to not just be another XYZ development program, but to also be a part of the short track community and hopefully in some way, shape or form, essentially add a tool to the arsenal of what everyone's trying to accomplish, right? Hopefully we're all trying to, to help this sport go in the same direction and we're all trying to pull in the same, you know, pull the same way. So we want to be a part of it. Hopefully we can, if we grow our program, hopefully we can provide tools to, to other people once we're more successful that they can benefit from. And that's kind of the whole point. So yes, I'm going to be crew chiefing. Uh, we will get to a point where that's not always going to have to be me, but right now that's, that's how it needs to be. Uh, and that makes sense. And really there's, there's no reason not to, I'll be driving some BJ will be driving some. And again, I have zero plans, zero things really even in the works, but definitely looking at what we can do in NASCAR world either this year or next year. So, uh, a couple different things, you know, the, the, the whole term driver development has gotten a very nasty, nasty yeah. connotation with it, because there's a lot of people that say, you know, I want to develop these people so that they can do whatever. And it's basically, they're just ripping off rich kids. That's all it is. Yeah. Um, so it, I, I'm, it's very good to hear you say that you, you really, you're just about the sport. You want to, you want to see the betterment of the sport progress. And that's, that's very cool to hear that. Cause that's not typically what you hear in someone in your position, because you have every, every opportunity in the world to just write your own checks at this point for, for some spoiled rich kid to come in and just say, yeah, let me drive your car. Um, so yeah. it's very refreshing. It's very good to hear that. And I, I, I want to thank you for saying stuff like that. Um, but before we, we talked about that, you said that, um, you should have moved down there five years ago. What, what does Travis Braden look like if you did move down there five years ago? Where are you talking to us from if you moved down there five years ago? Your own house? Yeah. Are you, yeah. Are you at the same place? Are you like, what, are you, what do you imagine would have been different if you did do that? You know, it's funny because 
I should have, but at the same time, I'm glad I didn't. And I don't think, it, you know, it's just an impossible triangle, right? Because there's things that I know now and there's people in my corner that are in my corner now that if I could just go back in time 10 years ago and do all that, it would have been smarter to be here way sooner. But in reality, like I, I didn't meet Jess until three years ago. And if I had left the programs I was a part of, who knows if I would have been at the Snowball Derby the year that I met her there, right? Um, it, it's just – so in all reality, I don't – I don't, like, regret. I don't wish that I had done that. Um, that would have been cool if that happened and it did work out. But I don't know that – I don't know that just simply – everything being the same as it was moving here five years sooner, I wouldn't be anywhere else than I am today. I probably would have less of a chance of still being a race car driver actually. Cause I just couldn't do this on my own. And to an extent, I, I always have really not had anyone helping me. So, um, but I think if you put this, you know, artificial scenario together where we could do all these things, but five years sooner, I do think that in five years time, um, you know, I, I could have at least made NASCAR starts in, in one series or the other. Um, I have, you know, confidence in myself that I would have um, always at least met expectations in whatever scenario, whether it was a small team operation, a, you know, a bigger team, whatever. Um, and I think that, you know, Jess and I working together, and she's a very important part of all this because when it comes to that level of the sport, there's so many other things besides the two hours around the racetrack. And she's so good at tying all those together, making sure that I'm, you know, I love to turn wrenches and punch numbers and stuff. I'm an engineering guy, I'm a math guy, but I've recognized I need the other part and she's very good at that. So I think we would have gotten opportunities just like I think we will now. Um, but if you're here five years sooner, that's great. If you could have done that stuff five years earlier. And I think that, you know, hopefully we would have, and we still will get opportunities. And I think that we will do a, at least again, meeting expectations job. And sometimes it's luck of the draw, but hopefully one of those opportunities would have, and, and will um, turn into something that can develop and evolve. And, you know, you just never know, like, Think about like I think very frequently right now about Josh Berry because Josh is very quiet kind of guy. He's very similar, I guess, in that regard to myself five years ago. Um, you don't he doesn't post a lot on social media. He doesn't have a lot of followers or anything because of that. But he's like he's Dale Junior's like if Dale Junior is going to pick one person to help, it's it's him, and he's still has yeah. had such a hard go at it, you know? Yeah. He, he still had such a hard like journey to get there, but it finally kind of started to work out and he made, he did what everyone knew he could do. And now it's opened all these doors and he still has choices to make, right? Because I'm sure he had to decide whether he wants to make his first cup start in a, in a small team operation. And he's going to get a lot of those opportunities now. And, and that was my point really was, he worked so hard and finally got some, but now it's like everyone trusts him because he met and exceeded expectations. They knew he was a pretty good driver, but now they know he's got his head on, right? He's not going to tear stuff up and he'll drive well. He'll succeed 
all those things. So now he's getting all these opportunities, whether they're big or small, it doesn't really matter right now because he's there. Everyone wants to be there and 40 guys or less get to do it and girls get to do it. And he's there. So it, it's, it's always striking to me because of how hard his, his journey was just as one example. Um, but just getting in the door, it's like, that's almost the biggest hurdle just getting in. You could almost equate it to what we talked about earlier with Ty Gibbs running an unsponsored car because they very well just could put a $15,000 camping world wrap on it, but they're earning their stock or they're uh, making themselves more marketable where Josh Berry and yourself, you know, you, you, you said yourself that he could very well just go, you know, do a start and park type deal with a lot of teams and get that start in the, under the belt. You know what I mean? And, yeah. A lot of times you have to ask yourself, is that actually what I want to do? And I guess that's the question for you is that, you know, you said you want to get more NASCAR starts or a NASCAR start. And is it just about saying that you did it for you? Or is it something that you want to be able to compete and, you know, do at the highest of your ability with you, the, the correct yeah. surroundings? I think there's, again, there's kind of two answers because, from a business perspective, it's very challenging, right? Because everything's fighting against itself. Um, it would be a very valuable tool, no matter what caliper operation it was, if I could actually say, and then back it up with an article somewhere that proves it, that I'm a NASCAR driver. You know, like when I go to sell a sponsorship, the first thing they do is Google you. And we just, I shouldn't say we, it's a hundred percent just does a great job making sure that when someone Googles me, it's going to look good, but, and it does. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm not an NASCAR driver and they don't know what the ARCA series is. They don't know what, especially what a late model is or anything else. So, and they can't find any information on where is this stuff, you know, broadcast. Um, there's not going to be a ton of articles about the, the, the big events or anything because they're not on that scale. You need to be on that scale. Um, the size of sponsorship dollars you need are that scale. So you have to get on that scale. Um, so that's why I would, that's why I would do that. You know, that like you're, you're almost taking away from yourself though, because then they're going to be asked, okay, what does it cost to do what you did? And then that's exactly. not the question that you want asked because yeah. that's not the same answer to what you did to what you should be doing. Right. Well, I think what you're saying is like very, it's the subject. It's, it's essentially the subject of like Ty Gibbs unsponsored and Marcus Limonis throwing whatever it is, $15,000 or $30,000 to anyone that'll take it because you can't go racing at that level for $30,000. And from what I can tell, like his deal is like, if you take it, you can't put any other sponsors or I don't normally see people doing that. Maybe you can, but um, but now guess what? You're only worth $30,000. And so that's kind of what like Sheldon Creed, I think is in that situation is like, well, we're having a hard time selling sponsorship, obviously, um, because we're asking for 200 grand or 150 grand. And it's, it's, it's not, it's not proving to be worth that essentially. But at the same time, if we just, what are we going to do? Just take 50 every week forever. I mean, we have to, at some point, 
say this is what it's what it's worth or you decide to do something different you race for a smaller like there's all these things that have to mesh and you know it's this it's this thing so for someone like sheldon creed for example he he can he can afford to do it regardless but for other people and i think that's the same thing with ty gives i'm sure there was somebody that was willing to give ty 30 40 50 grand um the other week there but I'm sure that that wasn't even on the table for Gibbs. They were never going to even consider an offer like that. So um, I think that's smart when you can do that, but then you have to be realistic when you're someone like myself, because how do you, you that's most likely not going to happen in a situation. You're not going to be in a situation where you have a full paid sponsorship for a big team. And so how do you bridge the gap? Because you also don't, in my opinion, you don't want to go out and look like you're in an operation that like, everything's rusty and like it's never going to finish all the laps and if you do your 15 or 30 laps down like there's a fine line so I, I it's it's a really tough it's definitely a really tough business um and people make it work I think every which way you know there's times I'm like ah, I, I can't do that that's not gonna be good in this way and then I see someone go and just do it because they just say hell with it we're just gonna try it and it sometimes it works out you know but i don't know it's tough so i i gotta bring up daytona real quick so we did we did see down at a bar, <laughs> at a bar in daytona and charlie may or may not have caused the scene screaming your name across said bar um it, one thing led bar. to yes bar oyster the oyster bar the oyster pub yes uh, actually, I first saw you at Coyote Ugly. It's a funny story. Uh, we were over at the bar, and um, <laughs> my, my buddy Ryan texted me, and he said, Garrett Smithley's over here. He wants to talk to you. And, like, we were hanging out with Noah the whole weekend. So, obviously, him and, and Garrett got into it on Thursday. So, he's like, Garrett wants to talk to you. I'm like, cool. So, and I was, I had had a couple, two, three drinks at the bar. So, I'm pretty tuned up. And I walked in, and, like, I'm face-to-face. -face, and Garrett's, like, saying something to me. But, in, like, I could see you're – you're a pretty tall fella, like you said. And I was like pointing, I'm like, that's Travis Braden. And that was all I said to Garrett Smithley. And I walked away from him. And I think that he had a full conversation with maybe himself to me, but I didn't say anything back. So it's not what I wanted to bring up. We ended up at Waffle House. Little funny conversation goes on. And I brought up the Ooh. fact that, you know, I came coherent for a second. I was like, we all want to see you run the Oxford 250 at some point. And I believe Jess said something about that that was going to try to be a plan for the very near future. And if I didn't hear that right, then I'm going to blame it on the alcohol. But is that something that is on the table? Yeah, I mean, that just so you know, like that's been on my personal agenda or calendar or whatever you want to call it um, for a couple of years. It just, you know, it, it wasn't something that that I could convince other people to, to help me do yet, at least yet. So, um, but that's one of those races, you know, that we would want to do. And, and really my, my, my long-term goal would be to be, um, you know, racing a handful of the bigger shows a year in, in all the different kind of series or different regions. Right. Um, but that's gotta be probably one of, one of the ones on the top of the list that I haven't done yet. And for that reason, it's probably even higher on the list just because I haven't done it yet. So, um, and it's very similar from what I can tell to Columbus Motor Speedway. So if anything kind of translates there, maybe I'll have a good shot, but it's very, um, yeah, very mechanical. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's on the, it's on the agenda. I, I don't know, right. Like when that would happen this year, obviously it's a once a year thing. So this year, probably less likely than next year and next year, hopefully there's a really good chance. Um, I think if we keep working the way we're going, we'll be able to basically pick hopefully um, five or six shows a year, just, just get to pick what we want. You know, that's our, that's our end goal as far as for, for me, but um, and again, going back to like our, our program, our development team, if you will, um, we want to be a part of the community. And, and I think, again, that just brings more value for anyone that's kind of just there for the development side, because to me, that brings with it the extra media attention and it's a marketing tool for them. Um, if, if my face and name and, and BJ, like if all those things are tied into it and, and the fans in the stands are paying attention to that team, then some kid that no one knows yet, they're automatically going to get a little bit more attention if they're driving for us. Right. So that's kind of our goal. And it works in our favor because for, for myself, just to have some fun, you know, we want to put together some, some partnerships where we can go to this race or that race. And that helps build our program and, and hopefully benefits, you know, other people in the future. And it's, it's, it's hopefully helping everyone in every sense of, of progression, right? If we are someone that brings a little bit of extra attention, hopefully I would assume that that's good for the venue, for the promoter, all those things. And that's what we want, you know? So. Yeah. I think, yes, I think Oxford was the subject and hopefully very soon. I, I'm not even going to roll it out for this year still. I just, I have to get kind of, huh? Have you ever been? No, no, I've never been there. That's good. So that means that probably I was hearing right, uh, even though I had a lot of alcohol in my system. Yes. So uh, one, one thing that I want to bring up regarding the Oxford 250s, so being up in the Northeast, you, you're kind of in your own world. We have our own guys up here. Now, Derek Griffith's our boy because he travels all around where everyone else is really just centralized around this area. So like looking from afar, we have, you know, obviously the Bubba Pollards of the world. You have Steven Nasty, Ty Majeski and Travis Braden. That's a name that, you know, for us, that's that's up there. It's very, very, at least in the top five. So it's obviously something that we we want to see these guys come up and, and participate in our event, our crown jewel. So a couple of years ago, you see Bubba come up. He wins his first time out. Now, looking at it from your perspective, is that something that makes you like want to come, you know, even more just seeing that some guy that, that generally races around the South, obviously he gets around everywhere, but comes up to like one of the events in the nation and wins his first time. Is that something that kind of like, I don't know, not maybe motivates you a little bit to, to try yeah. to get there? Keep in mind, since he won. He has sucked. Yeah, that's every I, time he came back. I didn't yeah. want that up. I want, I want and I, I am a huge, huge, huge Bubba Pollard fan, but he won the first time and there was nowhere to be found the other two times. I guess but was, not yeah. to discredit him, but isn't that just Bubba anyway? Like he either wins hands down or he's there's no in between with him. So I suppose, I guess, I guess what I was hoping, and I get because I'm just a fan, like Charlie's doing the ranks. He's gone up go-kart to, to, you know, street stocks, late models, now super late models and stuff where I've just kind of, I, I, I go to rental go-karts every once in a while. Uh, that's basically it. But so like, as a fan, you see Bubba Pollard win, you're like, cool. Like, hopefully that means that you'll look at the entry list in April or, or May of the next year. And you'll see names that you're not accustomed to seeing. 
And I guess that in my mind, after he wins the first time coming up here, I would think that a couple, like, you know, more names from around the country would be like, oh, hey, that's an event we could go and at the very least compete in. Um, And then obviously, like Charlie just said, he comes and he he is absolutely out to lunch the next two years. (laughs) Maybe maybe that makes it so it's not as appealing to other people. But I think it also also attests to how difficult it is to win that race, too. Yeah. So it's not it's not like um, it's just so different, I guess, from the Snowball Derby or the Winchester 400, where, you know, you go to those races, you have, you know, a handful of guys that are probably going to win that race. You come to the Oxford 250, there are probably in the starting lineup 20 cars that could win that race. Yeah. Right? It just speaks to how hard it is to win, which is why when Bubba came up the first time out, everybody's like, holy shit. And then the second two times, you're like, okay, now now he's starting to get like, this is fucking kind of hard. So um, does that appeal to you more of like, Bubba yeah. went up there and did it and I could do that? Yeah. Or, I think. I think for me, not even so much because it was already pretty high on my to-do list the year that he won it. Um, so is it more motivation? Probably just a little bit for me, but yeah, I would think that um, I think, yes, I think you're probably right because I think sometimes people get this like question mark of like, well, if we go and race this other series, like they know the tires, they know the rules, they know how to, they're buddies with this person. Like, and so like you think you're going to have this disadvantage. Um, and I don't even know the differences in the rules up there. There might not be any difference at all, but um, I think that that's always the question mark. So then when a guy that you're used to seeing all these shows goes there and does well or wins in that case, um, I would think that that's like more motivation or, or just comfort to know that like, okay, if we go, we shouldn't be like, you know, some nobody's not going to beat us, right? We, we should run where we deserve to run. We might not win it our first year because we do have to learn something. But um, I would say in that regard, that surely it would motivate some more people for sure. Like I'll say this, like I always struggle with wanting to go. I love the Arkham Investor. Um, you know, Greg McCarns, everyone involved, all the racers, like it's such a great tour. Everyone involved is just awesome. But it's hard as a competitor to go there because they have a different set of rules with some of the rear suspension stuff. And it's big in terms of speed. And like every time I've gone, we've tried to get some good advice and stuff, but like it's it's just hard and you don't get unless you're going to go spend a day testing which is expensive like it's hard to go there so that's one of the things that i think deters people and i'm not saying that that's the case in oxford but when you see a guy like bubble go there and run well then yes i would think that that would just start helping uh the entry list grow which i know it's already pretty big but yeah, it, it is usually a big one but um you are, you have any any questions I don't, I don't, I don't really have any more no? questions. No, I don't. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I've, I've talked like crazy, so oh, you shouldn't have any more questions. The more you can talk, that it's the better for us. But uh, the one way I usually like to wrap these things out, um, one, what's the one race that you want to win? What's the one at the very top of the list that you have not done yet that you need that trophy? I know you're going to be mad. I'm not going to say the Oxford 250, I I but I'm sorry. It's definitely at least top three or four. I have to sit here and think. Uh, the All-American 400. Okay. That's my to-do. There's only, to my knowledge, two other people that have won the Snowball, Winchester 400, and All-American, which would be kind of cool. 
So I think the two other people that we know of are Chase Elliott and Gary Sinemont. So it'd be kind of cool because of my connection to Gary. And, I'm, you know, Chase is kind of a friend of mine. Like when we're racing together, we're always, you know, we chat a little bit. And, and Chase is obviously a cup champion now. So it'd be cool to be kind of on that list, right? Having the other two already. And we've been there and I've been really close. I felt like a number of times and like had transmissions break and blew a tire and got wrecked on a restart and stuff like that. So I've done that one so many times and been close and it's like, okay, you gotta just keep trying until, until we hopefully can get one. Um, that's, that's my number one Oxford, probably third. Let's, let's say it's third. I don't even know what number two is. lie to us. But here's the thing. If I could just make it happen and come one time, I'm sure that like it would, it would be like, oh, now I have to come back till I win it, right? Or and just just for fun, even like I just want to come back. So whatever it's worth, if you do it, we got a place for you to stay. We're not that far okay. from that. Well, normally I would have my own place, but hopefully this thing sells soon and I'll not have the motor home and I'll need somewhere. So yeah, well, actually well, actually talking about the all-American 400. So you won the Winchester 400 and, and we were I would, I guess, friends with Noah Gregson now. We've had him on it like three or four times. And at one point, he said that the Winchester 400 is the easiest super late model race in the country to win because of the fact that the first year he went and he was like dog shit and he was like eight, 10 laps down or something like that. And he still finished like eighth. And he's like, if you just have a car that stays together, you have as good a chance oh, yeah. as anyone. Do you, do, you, do you feel like that's the case? I, know, I don't want to discredit your win or anything, but. Well, not so, I mean. You still have to think about it in different terms then maybe because like is in a way that makes it almost harder to win. Right. Because just simply finishing is hard. So like in what way, it depends on how you look at it, but I will say this. I'm good answer. Yeah. So (laughs) I will say this. I've been there. So the first time I went there with the crate car, we won. And then the next year I went with the super and I've raced the super there every year since then. The year I won the race is the only year that I didn't, you know, through practice and qualifying, feel like I had a winning car. That year, like every single year, I think we've qualified definitely in the top 10. I think usually top five, like practice speeds are always up there. Um, All that stuff's been good. The year that I won it, we struggled. We were like 25th at best in practice. I was a lap down most of the race. Um, Literally just, I mean, the race day morning that day was like, all right, we know exactly what Noah's saying, right? That attrition is a huge factor. So can't get worked up when we do go a lap down because we already know we're going to lap down. And all these things, like we can still work through it. Like here's how we have to mentally prepare for this and how it could work out. And we like, we did a weird tire strategy, which put into it all these things and it worked out and we won. So to an extent, I will agree with Noah because the year I won it, we were not even close to a fast car. It was just simply playing the game and it worked out in our favor. And I've had all these cars that should have won, probably should have three or four wins with those other cars and never won one. So his answer is not wrong. I'm not going to say he's wrong, but it's also like, well, then if it's not hard in that way, it's still kind of hard in this other way, you know? I played hockey in high school and my hockey coach said that they all look far down on the score sheet and, you know, just get those greasy goals and like, Hey, it doesn't matter how you win it. it you still won it. So Tro- trophy looks the same. Exactly. Hey, I got a, 
Okay, let me see if you guys can regurgitate a really fun fact because everyone always brings up my Winchester 400 and Snowball Derby wins. How many laps have I led in those two races? Those two specifically, not like in all my combined starts there. Did you lead technically any in the Snowball? Zero in the Snowball. Yeah, see, you have a Snowball Derby trophy, but you led zero laps. I've never led a lap there. So there's zero there. I would assume like less than 10. I've led a combined one lap in those two wins. I only led the last lap of the 400. I was, oh, I was going to go with six, which apparently is a huge number. So I, I would have <laughs> yeah. off by a lot. You're 60, you're six times. Yeah. You're way off. Yeah. Wait, but, okay, whatever. You still have those two trophies. Yeah. They still look badass. Doesn't matter how you got them. Hey, they, yeah. that's like the one thing that I noticed uh, in any Instagram video that I would see from either you or Jess in the RV was just like over behind <laughs> your shoulders, the Winchester trophy. And I'm just like, <laughs> that's just so cool. <laughs> like, you don't me, but like you got some decor. <laughs> you, you don't even notice it as much, but when you walk in like our motorhomes, you know, the, the doors in the very front, right. And when you go up the stairs at the top of the stairs, you're looking at the driver's seat and I mounted the Winchester rifle right above it. Like you have to take it down when I drive. Cause it's like right there. So when you walk in, that's the first thing that you see is the, is the rifle, <laughs> but I had, I had one last thing. So you, you, it's very public that you're, you're getting rid of your RV. You've planted some roots. You're going to end up at a house. Now you guys are staying with. with I am. You're saying that's for sure. Like, I hope so. I mean, if the RV sells, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're going to stay with Natalie and her man friend forever. But I did see a couple days ago on Jess's Instagram story. She was saying how great it is that she's staying with Natalie because she can wake up and have coffee with her and not you because you still think fart jokes are funny. And I just want to let you know, they're still funny. They absolutely play. Dude, I'm going to put her on blast right here. So like for the first two and a half years of our relationship, she rode that to, to death, like would not laugh at anyone's fart joke, would not laugh at if somebody oh. fart, like <laughs> we would not and I finally got her on one that she could not resist, just burst out laughing. Like, finally, after like two and a, this was probably like last year. And so what now, was, like, I, I proved that she was just lying. What was the joke, though? Yeah, it was just a big fart. That's all. Oh, <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Holy fuck. All right. I'm not even good at jokes. It just had to be a good fart. Yeah. Well, right. congrats, congrats on all the cool shit that you've done. Congrats on having a hot girlfriend. Congrats on getting to, I guess, live with Natalie Decker. I don't know what that is because she's also not the worst to look at. But uh, last thing I want to ask you, uh, and this is the way I love to end all of these. You know, you've done a lot of cool shit. You started from, you know, a welded together piece of shit, tin wedge go-kart, all the way up to racing ARCA cars, winning ARCA races. You're now doing your own thing, but what is it exactly and specifically that brings Travis Braden back to the racetrack every week? Why do you have to be there? What is it that brings you through the gate? I mean, obviously we all know that anyone that repeatedly does this is certifiably insane, but besides that obvious answer to your question, um, I don't know. I would just, it's a, right? Like we all love the competitive side of it. Um, 
the way the sport is just naturally structured with the personalities, um, you know, it is a team thing, but the driver is the quarterback, but the driver is a bigger in terms of the presence quarterback than any, maybe Tom Brady might be in that category, but besides that, like you build these huge names. Right. And, and so it's, it's always something, right. There's always some reason to go to the racetrack that weekend. Well, I'm racing against uh, whoever, right. I, I want to go race against him and see if I can beat him. And, and maybe, you know, you obviously you meet all these people and you build relationships and that's a fun part of it at times. And, um, so I think there's a lot of reasons as I've gotten older. Um, it's, you know, I think just with any person's life, like it's more about the experiences and the relationships and things. And, and, um, you know, this is all I've done since I was, was eight. So like I went to school for engineering as kind of a backup thing, but also kind of for racing, I think it applies. And so like, I don't know anything else is probably the best, best answer. And, I would say most people that have been around it would probably say about the same, right? Like it's, it's about the experiences and don't really know what else I would do if I didn't have racing. I think that was the right answer. Yeah. It's about, about the people. Yeah. It's about the people. <laughs> it's fun. I mean, that's the, that's really the one word that you just brought. It's just fun. I mean, it's about, it's it's about running in, into you and Jess at a bar in Daytona. <laughs> It's that a, was a semi-fun night. I mean, you yeah, had a couple good – we were, we were stuck in that Waffle House for like an hour and a half, and you maybe had two good jokes. I mean, it was it was kind of fun. <laughs> it, was, it was all right, and we were trying to wait for this one to show up. We, we reserved two booths because actually in the video that I showed you and Jess previously of uh, Jess sending my now-girlfriend a video of whatever she was saying, in the background you see our friend Sean Foster sitting at a booth by himself, and it's just you – Jess and I at this one booth because we were waiting for this kid to show up. And then long story short, there was a phone call and there was police lights in the background oh, yeah. and he never showed up. So that's just, that's usually how this kid's life goes. <laughs> I don't know what happened. We won't bring it up on the podcast because <laughs> we actually do know what happened, but you know, that's just, it. sometimes you know you go to Daytona just to have a good time and you end up on a 12 day bender and you close it out with a, uh, with 12 days. You no, know, it was bad. It was not, it was, it was the, we're still financially recovering and it's yeah. five months later. We'll be, we'll be just back. We'll be back financially for next year and hopefully we'll see you down there in Daytona as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oxford or at Oxford. Yeah. Or Oxford. Well, my goal is to, to, both, right? I mean, shoot, we gotta, we're going to do this. We gotta do this. Got it. Hey, do it all. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll make both happen. There's no Waffle Houses up here, but we got Denny's, and that's a classy establishment. So we'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll have to go there. Yeah, that's what I need to do. Is I need to start. I need to. I need to. You guys would know, like who? I'll have to get a hold of you and see, like what what local mom and pop shop will buy us a set of tires. You know, like freaking, oh, we got you. Let's just we got you. Yeah, we got yeah. you. All right, man. We'll make it happen. We appreciate it. You know, we we know that you you're busy. You you have way cooler shit to do than talk to. Us. So thank you for the time. Uh, way longer than 40 minutes yeah we apparently we got the the not poor man's version of zoom today so that's cool yeah um but no we yeah, I was just waiting for you uh, uh no it's been cool uh, i learned way more about you tonight than i ever thought i would so uh thank you for doing it and uh hopefully everybody likes it yeah i appreciate you guys having me on um i, I love you know it's cool to kind of sit and reminisce about my own story a little bit you, you get to doing this stuff all the day, you know, all day, every day. And you kind of forget sometimes 
where you came from. Not that I feel like I ever forget where I came from, but you don't sit and think about it all day. And um, it's nice to, it was kind of nice to just sit and, and uh, reminisce on all that. And I appreciate you guys doing it. So anytime you want to do anything, if you, I don't know, I don't know. Do you guys do podcasts at like races ever? Have you done that yet? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry that I'm sorry. I'm asking that question. I should know, but um, <laughs> it's all good, man. Nobody else listens to us either. So we'll totally get it. Um, yeah. no, maybe, maybe we'll see you on the bowl ring again, uh, and do that. So, yeah. Oh yeah. So anyway, my point was if, if you ever want anything or need anything, just reach out and I'm sure, I'm sure we'll see you somewhere. If, if it's not till Daytona next year, we'll see you then. Yeah. Perfect. Well, either that or the snowball derby, we'll be at the snowball. Derby. Oh yeah. 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 We'll, we'll see you down there. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right guys thank you bye see you race car race car here we go race car <laughs>